You're listening to the CTK O'Fallon Podcast. Amen. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Amen. I want to just say one more time how good it has been to be back here at CTK these past two weeks now. And I've enjoyed it very much. Been here long enough just to get used to it. And, uh, but I've been blessed to be here, and I, I love this church. And I want to give honor tonight to Brother Ryan Sullivan, our executive pastor at CTK. And, uh, of course, he always serves many ways around here at CTK and his leadership. But especially the last two weeks, pastor being away, I'm thankful for him and for all of the team that serves. Of course, Sister Caitlin and many, many others. And so even though pastor has been away, things have been running just smoothly because of the many people that work, and I'm thankful for them. Amen. We are uh, going to the book of Jude tonight. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn there. And uh, it is the last book of the Bible before the last book of the Bible. Just before the book of Revelation, very easy to accidentally move past it. It's probably only one or two pages in your Bible. It's only 25 verses long. But we are going to... Uh, finish the series tonight. And of course, this is only a two-week series, so we're really just summarizing briefly the book of Jude, but hopefully it will be enough to be able to grasp the main themes tonight. And uh, Brother Leonard asked me last night, he was a little worried. He said, he said, you only have five verses left. What are you going to do tomorrow night? And I said, well, I've got eight verses left, but I was wrong. I actually, we have nine verses left tonight. Amen. But before we begin, could we just pray and let's ask the Lord to bless this Bible study tonight. Lord, God, I thank you tonight again for your many blessings. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. And God, we come to you humbly tonight, Lord, and we want to, we want to receive instruction from your word tonight, Lord. God, I pray you would anoint this Bible study, Lord. I pray that you would anoint us to receive from your word, Lord. We want your word to lead us and to guide us. We want to stand firmly upon your word, Lord. And so I pray you would bless this, bless this Bible study tonight. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. So last week, we, we covered the first 16 verses of the book of Jude. And Jude, which is short for Judas, was written by the half-brother of Jesus. And he said in his opening there here that his original intention was he just wanted to write a general letter of, about the salvation that we all share in common. But he was uh, stirred and moved to write something a little bit different. He said he was provoked to instead write a letter calling the church to contend. And so that was the, the thesis, that was the purpose of what Jude was writing. As he says, the purpose of, of my address to, to the believers is to make a call to earnestly contend or to earnestly stand and fight. That there is a call for the, the body of Christ, for believers to, to be ready and willing to fight for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. And the reason he says that there is a need to contend is because he had noticed that false teachers had crept in unawares and they were perverting the gospel. The Bible says he wrote there that in, in verse number four, that they had uh, um, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, that they were making the grace into a license to live immorally and saying, because of the grace of God, you can do whatever you want. But of course, the grace of God is not about remaining in sin, but it allows you to overcome sin. And so he goes on to describe 
what these false teachers, their, their characteristics and attributes, and he addresses that they are given to the way of Cain and the heir of Balaam and the rebellion of Korah. And again, Jude pulls no punches. He does not mix words. He makes it very clear the severity of the matter. Because what Jude writes is letting us know that, hey, doctrine matters. That what we teach and what we believe about the Word of God really does matter. Because the way that we handle the Word of God has eternal implication. And so Jude is saying because of these false teachers, they, they, it's, a, it's a real issue to deal with because what they are teaching will affect the souls of men for eternity. And so we read down through verse number 16, and so we'll begin tonight at verse 17. And Jude says this, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you that there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. And so Jude, he writes and he says, okay, so I've told you all of this about these false teachers and, and let me just one more time bring to your remembrance the fact that all of the, many of the apostles gave you similar warnings. There was, of course, the warning that Paul gave to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, and Paul tells Timothy that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of their own selves. They will be, uh, uh, they will be blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, despisers of those that are good. And he says they will have a form of godliness, denying the power thereof, from such turn away. And so Paul gives a similar instruction that Jude is giving in which he says of this, of, of what will happen and, and the attributes. And, and the, he, he says that they will be ever learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth from such turn away, because uh, you don't want that to influence your spirit and your heart. And he went on in chapter four of second Timothy to say that, that the time will come. That it's not, a, it's not something that might happen or it's not a, a projection of what is a possibility, but he says this will happen. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. That not only will there be false teachers, but Paul says that people will seek them out. There will be a demand that people will say, no, I, I don't want you to teach me sound doctrine. I don't want you to, I don't want to be instructed in the ways of the Lord. I don't want to be instructed in the paths of righteousness. I, I don't really want to know how to actually apply the word of God to the different areas of my life, but I just want you to make me feel good. I just want you, don't, don't, don't teach me truth, but he said they, they'll just want to hear fables. Just tell me a story. Tell me something that makes me feel good. I want you to inspire me. I want you to encourage me, but, but that's all I want. I don't want anything else. I don't want the whole counsel of God. Paul said this will happen in the last days, that this will be the desire of many people, that they will say, that's all that I want. They'll turn away from sound doctrine. They'll turn away from, from truth preaching, and they'll say, well, just give me somebody that says what I want them to. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3, Peter said, there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. Jesus said in Matthew 24 and verse 11, many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. And then in Acts chapter 2 
and verse number 40. Peter preaches on the day, that day of Pentecost, and we're very familiar with Acts 2 and 38 and 39. And Peter preaches and he declares to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It's a promise to you, your children, all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. But the sermon did not end there. It did not end with that promise of the Holy Ghost. But the Bible says in, in Acts 2 and verse 40 that with many other words did he testify and exhort. We don't even know what the words were, but there was a lot more that he had to say. And the whole point of all of those extra words that he had to say, it was summarized in this. Save yourselves from this untoward generation. And so the life of a believer and of following after Christ from that day of Pentecost until now has always been going against the grain of culture. That following after God always requires that you're swimming upstream from where whatever culture is doing and the world is doing. We, we're, we're saving ourselves from an untoward generation. We're, and so this is uh, the voice of the apostles that Jude references here. He says, remember what all of the apostles have spoken of. I'm speaking in agreement with them. Verse 19, these be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the spirit. Again, addressing false teachers, they separate themselves. They cause division. They are sensual, which was a common theme throughout this book of how he describes them with promiscuity and lasciviousness, sensuality. And they have not the spirit. They do not have the spirit of God. Then he says in verse number 20, but ye beloved... So Jude has been addressing uh, uh, the false teachers. This, for the bulk of what we have read so far, the bulk of his writing in this short letter, he's just talking about these false teachers. He's describing them. He's addressing them. But now, finally, in verse number 20, he writes to believers. And he says, okay, I've, I've told you of the problem and the issue. Here's, here's what I'm calling you to do. Here's, what, here's how you can respond. But ye, beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. And so Jude's call is to build yourself up in the faith. Now, if you, have a, if you own a home, you know this better than I do, but, it, but a home or a house or really any building, over time, naturally, as nature takes its course, the home will naturally uh, dilapidate and decay. That's just the natural course of nature uh, it's one of the laws of thermodynamics that things go from order to disorder. And so as a home is just sitting there, even if no one's living in the home or if someone is living in the home, it doesn't matter. Over time, as, as the winds blow on it and the rain comes down and the sun beats on it, and as time passes over time, uh, uh, the granules on the shingles come and, and they begin to flap in the wind and, and, and the siding gets hit by hail and all these things that happen just naturally over time. And, and that's not even co to consider if someone tries to vandalize your home. If you you have some kids trying to throw rocks through your window or somebody exit, somebody's trying to tear your house apart. And so naturally over time, your faith in God, if it's just left untouched and it's not maintained over time, it just, it's not going to just automatically build itself up. It's something you've got to work at and you've got to do because if it's just left, it's, it's like that house that just sits there and, and things are blowing on it and things come against it. And not just naturally, but, but there is an adversary who is doing everything he can to destroy the house. And so Jude's call is to say, hey, if you're going to contend for the faith, then I'm calling you that you've got to build yourself up in the faith. You've got to do some maintenance on your faith because if you don't maintain anything, what's going to happen is it's going to slowly decay and it's going to rot and it's going to become cold and you're going to lose it. 
So it's a call to build yourself up in the faith. Well, how do you build yourself up in the faith? Well, Jude specifically here mentions praying in the Holy Ghost. Prayer is, of course, a critical component. This is a spiritual battle that we fight, and we do not fight in the flesh. And so how do you fight a spiritual battle? How do you do spiritual warfare? It happens in a place of prayer. Martin Luther was accredited with saying that it is no more possible to be alive without breathing than it is to be a Christian without prayer. That, uh, you know, our lungs are continually, we breathe in oxygen and we push out carbon dioxide. And I need to pray things into my spirit and I need to pray things out of my spirit. And if I stop breathing, my body will die. And if I stop praying, my faith will wither and die. And so I cannot follow Christ without prayer. It's critical. It's essential. But uh, there's different schools of thought on exactly what Jude meant when he said praying in the Holy Ghost. That some would say, well, praying in the Holy Ghost, that just means a believer who has the Spirit in their life, they pray, and they're led of the Spirit in their prayer. And others would say, well, praying in the Holy Ghost is specifically uh, referring to speaking in tongues, praying in tongues. And I'm not here to give you the verdict on that. I'll let pastor do that. That's above my pay grade. But I, I do think it's worth noting in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse number 4, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, in verse number 4, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he's discussing spiritual gifts. And he says there, he says, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. And so it would not be beneficial for a preacher to stand behind the pulpit and speak in tongues because no one would understand what he was saying unless somebody was there to interpret. But that's a whole other Bible study that Paul is addressing there. But what I, what I think is worth noting is that he says, when you speak in tongues, in an unknown tongue, you edify yourself. And the original word that Paul uh, used in the Greek is translated here, edifieth, but most places in Scripture it is translated build or built. And so Paul is literally saying, when someone is speaking in an unknown tongue, they are building themselves up. They are edifying themselves. It's actually the root word that Jude uses when he says, build yourselves up in the faith. Paul said in Romans 8 and 26, he said, likewise, the spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That Paul says uh, uh, that the Spirit helps our weaknesses and our, our uh, deficiencies. And that when you allow the Spirit to pray through you and the Spirit intercedes through you, you don't know what you're praying and you don't even know necessarily what the will of God is. But when the Spirit is praying through you, the Spirit knows the will of God. And so when you let the Holy Ghost pray through you, you're able to touch things and impact things that you're not even aware of. And so God uses you as a conduit for His Spirit to flow. Titus chapter 3 and verse number 5, Paul wrote this to Titus, and Titus was going to go address the church. And Paul said, Titus, I want you to remind the church of some things. And one of the things he wanted to remind them of is that they were not saved by works of righteousness, which we have done. That's not what allows us to be saved. But it was according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing 
of the Holy Ghost. And so Paul says, remind the church that salvation, renewing of the Holy Ghost is essential in salvation. We need that renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so I'm not here to make the verdict on what Jude was saying, but I do think the scriptures make very clear the importance of not only prayer, but prayer in the spirit and allowing the Holy Ghost to pray through us. But what Jude's point is, is that, hey, we're in a battle, we're in a fight. And there are things that want to wear you down. There's so much going on in the world that can distract you, that could rob you of your zeal and of your passion that would cause you to wax cold and things that would just uh, attack your faith. And so if you're going to sustain yourself, you've got to continually be building yourself up through prayer. And so we've got to be a prayerful people is what Jude is telling us. In verse number 21, he says, keep yourselves in the love of God looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And so what does that mean? What does that mean, keeping yourself in the love of God? If the love of God is unconditional, and, you know, the Scripture says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So before I ever knew God, when I was just dead in sin, He already loved me. And Paul said in Romans, he said, uh, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so people say, well, God loves me just the way that I am. Why, why do I need to change? Don't tell me to change who I am. Don't, don't call me to repentance or anything like that. I'm already loved by God. Anybody ever heard anything like that before? That's what the, if, if, if the love of God is already for me, then, then I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. And so why would, what does that mean when Jude instructs to, to keep yourself in the love of God? Well, there was the, the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. And, and we read there where this young man comes up to Jesus and he asks him the question. He says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And at first Jesus says, well, you need to uh, don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, don't kill anybody and obey your parents. He says, basically he tells him you need to be a good person. And the young man says, all these have I observed from my youth up. I've been a good person most of my life. I must be in pretty good shape. And then in Mark chapter 10 and verse 21, Jesus, the Bible says he beholding him, loved him. And he said, there's one thing you lack. You've got to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. And then the very next verse says that the young man went away grieved for he had great possessions. And so here was a young man standing before Jesus face to face. And the scripture specifically notes that Jesus loved him. And yet he walked away from Jesus loving him, feeling grieved. Because even though Jesus loved him, he was not willing to accept the love of God and deny himself and follow after the Lord. There was an analogy that's been given before that uh, it's, you could think of when the sun is shining outdoors. And you can be outdoors while the sun is shining, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you are in the sunlight. That based on where you position yourself, you can, uh, you can keep yourself under the shade of a building, under the shade of a tree, and even though everything's lit up and the sun is shining, but, but I'm shielding myself from the sunlight. Or you could carry around one of these with you, and when the sun is shining, and you could uh, just walk around like this, and it would protect you from the sun. And sin is a separator between us and God. That in the very beginning in Genesis, 
that sin, when it came into the world, that was what drove a wedge between humanity and God. And so the love of God is for everyone, and it reaches universally. But you've got to position yourself, Jude says, keeping yourself in the love of God. And so if I hold on to something that is driving a wedge between me and God, if, if I hold on to something that, that is separating me from the love of God, then I'm not positioning myself, I'm not keeping myself in the love of God. And so you've got to be able to let go of some things and put some things aside. Keep yourself in the love of God. Another example would be if you have a a fireplace or wood-burning stove, or even if you've ever had a bonfire while you're out camping or in your backyard, and you get that tinder, and you get that, uh, that kindling wood, and you get those logs on the fire, and you light that thing up, and it's burning so bright, and it's producing all this heat. But what happens very quickly? If you don't continue to put logs on the fire, eventually the fire withers away, it dies down until there's nothing left but coals, and then those coals turn to ashes, and then there's nothing but breezy cold ashes left from what was once a raging fire. Jesus said in John chapter 15 and verse number 9, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Jesus said, The Father loved me and I loved you. And he makes a similar call to Jude. Continue in my love. Or Jude says, Keep yourself in the love of God. And this is in verse 10. Jesus says, This is how you keep yourself in the love of God. If you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Jesus says, very simply, if you walk in obedience to my word, then you will keep yourself in my love. And so this is what Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. Verse 22, And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Our natural proclivity as humans is we are given to extremes. It's just human nature, I suppose, that we just naturally, we, we, we are given to just going to one extreme or the other extreme. You see in every area of life, in, in culture, in politics, it's just everything. We, we go to the extreme. And probably in part because it's, it requires discipline to stay balanced. It requires intentionality to remain balanced. Um, and it requires nuance. It's more difficult. It takes more time to be balanced. It's easier just to jump to an extreme. But Jude here, he, he uh, writes of having a balance, that it is needful to have a balance. That we, we do absolutely believe and we preach of the mercy of God and the love of God. We preach of the compassion of God and there is no one that God cannot reach and that God cannot save and that God does not desire to have in His kingdom. And we also believe and we preach that there is coming a day of judgment that there is coming a day when we will stand before God and the mercy of God on that day will be no more but it will be a day of justice. We, we believe and we rejoice that there is a place called heaven. 
And, and it is a place of no more sorrow and, and no, no more pain. And, and it is a place that we can't wait to one day we will dance on streets of gold and, and we will gather around the throne with, with uh, people of every tribe and every nation, every tongue, and we will magnify the King of Kings. And we also believe and we weep because there is a place called hell. And it is a place of eternal judgment and damnation. It is a place of eternal darkness and eternal fire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so it's, it's not one or the other, but it is both that we want to have the whole counsel of God. And I do think also it's worth noting that Jude makes the point in verse number 23 that when it comes, when he says others save with, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, that when we preach of the judgment of God, it is not out of anger at sinners. When we preach of a place called hell, it is not out of hate for the lost, but it is because we are doing everything we can to pull them out of the flames of fire, that we want to do everything in our ability to say, I want to rescue you from the path of destruction. Whatever I can do, I want to do it because I don't want you to be lost. And so Jude says it's, it's not about the, this extreme or that extreme, but it is both. That some will be saved with compassion and with the love and the mercy of God, and others will come to God out of the fear and the conviction of that day of judgment that awaits us. Then he says this in verse 24, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That Jude says, now unto him the Lord that is able to keep you from falling. That this, this, this walk that we are in is not a fight by ourselves, but we serve a God who is well able to protect us. We serve a God who is well able to keep us and to watch over us. That, that we don't have to contend the, for the faith on our own or, or we don't have to contend uh, in the faith from a place of, of fear and worry and anxiety, but we are fighting the good fight of faith and God is with his people. God is on our side. Philippians 1 and 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That when God placed his hand upon you, when God started a work in your life, it was not just to leave you where you were, but he started something that he would see it through until the end. Yeah. And so as you contend and as you stand and as you fight, God is with you and his hand is upon you and what he started, he will finish and you can have a confidence in that. And so we are fighting a good fight of faith, but, but it's not from a place of, of great insecurity and great worry and great fear, but it's with a confidence that says, I know what the word of God says. I know who my God is, and I know that he can keep me and he can protect me until the very end. He says that he would, in that end, in that end time, when we finish the race, that he would present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, there's no one that is faultless here on the earth. There's no one that lives a faultless life. Paul himself said, I count myself not to have apprehended. I do not consider myself to have arrived. I haven't made it. I'm not perfect. 
But he said, this one thing I do, I am pressing toward the mark. That as long as I'm here, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I am pressing toward that mark of the prize of the high calling. And so we, we do all have faults. We do all have issues in our lives that God has helped us with or that God is helping us with. And so that's not what Jude is referring to, but rather that one day when we finish the race, that we will stand before the Lord and that we will be presented in that day as faultless. That on that day he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. And on that day, we will be presented faultless, not because of our performance or not because we were faultless, but because there was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. That on that day, we will be able to stand and be presented faultless because of the lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that we will be declared justified by God and and he will receive us as faultless and as spotless because we were washed by the blood of the lamb and sanctified by the spirit. And so he closes in verse number 25 to the only wise God, our savior. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and and forever, or both now and ever, amen. That he says it is to the only wise God. So he has addressed the false teachers. He has addressed now the church and the believers. And in closing, he says to the only wise God, he is due all glory, all majesty, all dominion, and all power, both now and forever, amen. And so with so much that can distract us in the world, so much that can deceive, I do pray may the hearts of the believers remain fixed upon the God who saved us, who is our Savior. That we would live with a love for Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, our soul, and our strength. That we would worship Him with every area of our lives because He is due all glory, all majesty, all dominion, and all power. And so this summarizes here the book of Jude. And as if you remember, as we opened there last week, that the two major themes that I wanted to highlight was that number one, Jude is giving a warning against false teachers. That he he makes that abundantly clear, the seriousness of the nature of the issue to say, beware, don't let it influence you, don't let it infiltrate you. It is serious. But then secondly, it is an encouragement to the church to say you can stand and you can make it to the end. There is a God that is with you and he will help you endure until the end. Amen. Amen. And so I want to invite you tonight to stand with me. I just want to close in a word of prayer. Amen. Lord, God, I thank you tonight for your word upon which we stand. And Lord, we are called as your church to contend for the faith. Lord, to stand for truth and for righteousness. And I pray, God, that you would give us strength. I pray that you would give us courage and boldness, Lord, to contend and to stand and to fight, Lord, the good fight of faith. Lord, that we want to be a light and we want to be a witness, Lord. God, that we want to do everything that we can to snatch souls from the flames of hell. God, that we want to do everything in our ability, Lord, to reach those that are lost, God. And so I pray that you would help us to be a light and to be a witness, Lord. I pray that you would help us, God, that we would remain in your love.
I pray you would help us, Lord, that we would build ourselves up in the faith. Lord, I pray that we would be a people of prayer. Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a people who would seek your face. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who would intercede, who would intercede on behalf of the lost, who would let your spirit pray through us. Lord, that when we don't know what to pray, Lord, that your spirit, which knows your will, could pray through us, Lord, that we would be a conduit of your spirit, Lord, that we would be a people in a church of prayer, that we would be a people who seek after your face, Lord. God, that we would be a people who would allow you to anoint us and to use us, Lord. For God, we know that you are well able to keep us. We know that you are able to protect us and to watch over us, Lord. And so I pray, let us put our hope and our faith in you. Let us put our trust in you. Let us put everything that we have and place it in your hands, Lord. I pray, God, that we would love you and worship you with everything that we have, with all of our heart and our mind and our soul. Lord, that as we walk this walk and as we finish this race, Lord, that we would be presented faultless to you that we would be presented blameless before you, Lord, for you are worthy of all glory and all honor and all praise. You alone are good and you alone are God, and we worship you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen, amen. We are the church of the living God. And I want to do everything I can. I know it is the desire of the people of God that we want to see an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We want to see a great harvest of souls. We want to see God save and we want to see God deliver and set free. And so I want to do everything I can to say, Lord, I belong to you. I'm going to contend. I'm going to stand. I'm earnestly contending. God, everything that I can give, everything that I can do, Lord, I want to do it. I want to be a part. The Lord is coming back. And so may we as his church be ready. And may we do everything we can to advance his kingdom. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord tonight. I'll turn it back over. Brother Sullivan.